0: Welcome to this podcast from Harvest Community Church of Huntersville, North Carolina, where our vision is to make disciples who make disciples. I'm your host, Liz Stefanini. Good morning. As it relates to prayer, I want to put a picture on the screen about three different kinds of churches there's the prayerless church the prayer ministry church and the house of prayer the prayerless church hardly recognizes the importance of prayer every church prays but in a prayerless church it the prayers are ritualistic and routine and it seems like they come and go without people thinking much about them the prayer ministry church is a step up. In that church, it recognizes that prayer is important and prayer becomes an important ministry of the church. And there are few people in that church that are really committed to prayer. The next one on the screen is our goal. It's a house of prayer. A church that's a house of prayer believes that nothing will happen apart from prayer. Church of prayer Our house of prayer believes that prayer permeates every ministry, every arena of the church, every family and individual in the church. And it's a church where virtually everyone is involved in prayer. In the house of prayer church, prayer is an important part of the daily lives of the members and attenders. It's not just a scheduled activity. Prayer saturates the worship gatherings. People pray through the week before they come together for corporate worship. They pray before the service. There's a significant amount of prayer or time given to prayer in the service and even often prayer after the service. House of Prayer... The leadership of the church is committed to the, is committed to prayer. The leadership, the staff, key volunteers are all committed and model a life of prayer. In a house of prayer, the pastoral staff, the elders, the staff team, the key ministry leaders have a prayer covering over them where people are praying for them and their ministry. In short, in House of Prayer Church, prayer is foundational and pervasive. It saturates the whole church. Well, today we're going to look at Mark chapter 11, verse 15 to 17 to help us with this. I think this will help us in this area. Let me set the stage for that. When you come to Mark chapter 11... It's the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. This is the days leading up to his betrayal, arrest, and crucifixion. But there was that triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And there was celebration. It was, it was, a, it was a great mood. They were throwing palm leaves down. And people were saying, Hosanna. And it was very much a celebration. But the tone changes pretty quickly when jesus comes in verse 15 to visit the temple here's god's word on reaching jerusalem jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there he overturned the tables of the money changers and the branches or the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, is it not written? My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. But you have made it a den of robbers. Now. Now. Here's God's word for us this morning. When we value prayer like Jesus did, we are praying in his name. That's what we've been doing for six weeks. We've been learning how to pray in Jesus' name. What does it mean? Because Jesus made awesome promises. If you pray anything in my name, I will do it. What does it mean? We've been studying that for several weeks. And today we learn Praying in Jesus' name involves valuing prayer the way he did. Now, we need to say right up front, Mark 11 is what's happening in the temple. It's not about the church per se. In the first instance, this was about what was God's house at that moment, the physical temple. But as we look at it, it's a poignant description of what God values. It helps us understand Jesus' heart. Today's message is about our coming to better understand Jesus' heart. That's what this is about. This is about his heart. And as we learn his heart, as we learn what he values, it helps us as individuals and families and a church to know what we should value what we should focus on, what we should be committed to. So there are three things in this passage, and these are on your outline sheet if you're following that, that tell us what Jesus values. The first thing Jesus values is God's activity, prayer, rather than mere religious activity. How many of you have ever been to Ikea or Walmart on a Saturday afternoon? Let me see your hand. That's what this looked like. That's what was happening here. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling dove. And would not let anyone carry merchandise through the temple courts. There was a lot of activity going on. And this all had to do with religion... And had to do with the temple, but it wasn't God's activity. It wasn't what God wanted to be happening there. Now, let me try to give you a sense for where this was and what was happening. There's, there's a replication of the temple in Jerusalem at the time of Jesus. And you will notice, you see the walls all the way around it. Sometimes growing up, when I heard temple, I thought just everything on the inside <laughs> But this is a whole temple complex. Herod built this magnificent and it kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Of course, later, 70 AD, it was destroyed by the Romans. But you can see in the very center there, it's kind of the, the temple proper. And that's where Jewish people could, could go in and, and there would be sacrifices offered and then, of course, you get closer and closer into the inner courts, and there was more and more restrictions. But see the arrows there? See, see all of that arrows, all of that area pointed to by the arrows outside of the temple court proper? It's inside the walls. It's, it's, it's the courts. And it was known as the court of the Gentiles. Because if you were a Gentile, that's, that's the only place you could go. You could not go inside the temple proper. You had to be Jewish. This was a Jewish temple. So if you weren't Jewish, and there were other restrictions, which we'll see as we go on this morning, there were other things that kept you, even if you were Jewish, from being able to go in there. But basically, if you were Gentile, and that's everybody who's not a Jew, then you could only go into the court of the gender you could mill around out there and it could be a little bit of a worship experience for you not what the jewish people got to do but a little bit so when we read mark 11 this is the setting this uh if i could take my pointer this is where it's happening these tables and this selling and this merchandise is all happening there there would There would be things like wood, and there would be animals that they would be selling there. And there would be money changers because your money was like monopoly money. When you came into the temple, you you couldn't, you had to convert it to temple money and pay the temple tax. So whether you brought Greek or Roman coins, you you converted it into temple money. And so you could pay your, your temple tax of half a shekel. So, it's not all bad. Think about it. If you, if you've walked a hundred miles to go to the Jerusalem temple to offer a sacrifice, you may not take a lamb with you. You may not carry a wood altar. You're going to need to buy things for that. And yet, it didn't have to happen there. It didn't have to happen in the court of the Gentiles because we know from history that just a short ways away on the Mount of Olives, there were four booths selling these things and the Sanhedrin was operating them. But here in the only place that Gentiles could come, now it looks like Walmart parking lot because people are selling and doing this and that and the other. And so in response to Jesus walking in and seeing something going on that was not holy, he exhibits holy zeal. He was not out of control. He was never out of control. This is the only act of violence recorded by Jesus in the Bible. He doesn't hurt anyone. He's not violent against anyone. He's acting out a parable or actually a prophecy. He's acting out a prophecy against the things that are going on. And he... He turns these tables over. He will not allow people. We don't know how many hundreds of people may have been out in these courts. We do know one Passover. The Josephus, the Jewish historian, said that for that Passover there were two hundred fifty-five thousand lambs sacrificed. So there was a lot of activity, but it wasn't God's activity. People were supposed to come here to meet God. People were supposed to come here to worship. People were supposed to come here to pray. And now it's a marketplace. And Jesus will not put up with it. My house, he says, will be called a house of prayer. It is his house. You know, there's something very, very important about worship. There's something very, very important about church life And that's the word stewardship it belongs to God this is not our church we say that my church or our church this is God's church it's his house and he gives us a lot of freedom you know we can choose when we meet and where we meet what time we start what time we finish what the actual service or we can choose all kind of things like that but we cannot choose the priorities of the church. God's already done that for us. Because it's his house. And he values his house to be a place for prayer. And that's what he has told us. That's stewardship. We don't own the church. God just does. So that's the first thing we see that Jesus values. He values God's activity. Not just not just religious activity, not just people like, yeah, yeah. No, he values God's activity in prayer. Secondly, Jesus values inclusiveness and a large heart and vision rather than exclusiveness. He taught them in verse 17. Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer? Read with me those last three words for all nations. Jesus is quoting Isaiah 56, so we need to go back. I want to invite your attention back to Isaiah 56 if you want to follow along with that. It was written hundreds of years earlier before, and let me set the stage for that. Earlier in the the book of Isaiah, in in Isaiah chapter 2, in fact, the prophet had a vision. This was a Jewish prophet, but this prophet had a vision of the nations streaming into God's house to worship, and again... Remember, if you lived in the Old Testament time, and even when we come to Mark 11, these people are still coming out of the Old Testament time, and it's transitioning into the new era that Jesus inaugurates. But these Jewish believers, these Jewish followers of God in the Old Testament, they were, they were God's chosen people, and the Gentiles were not, and yet the prophet has this vision that there's going to be a day when they're going to stream in and worship together. So we already, in the Old Testament, are starting to see some of God's heart. That God's heart is for inclusion, not for exclusion. A lot of Jewish people missed that, just like a lot of us miss it along the way. Now, Israel, the nation of Israel, of course was taken into captivity, into Babylon. And Isaiah 56, or where we're going to read, is picturing what's going to happen after they get released from captivity and they come back to their homeland. You know, there were different groups of people that got to come back into their homeland at different times. And the first ones, it's pictured... That they will have been coming in. They haven't come in yet when it was written, but that's that's what the prophet is picturing. So let's let's read what the the prophet Isaiah said, because these are the words that Jesus quoted. And often when Jesus quotes just a few words, or the New Testament writers just quote just a few words, they're referring to the whole passage. Isaiah fifty six one. This is what the Lord says: Maintain justice. And do what is right. For my salvation is close at hand and my righteousness will soon be revealed. There were two characteristics that were going to be important for these Jewish people as they came back in. Justice and openness. Verse 2. Blessed is the one who does this, the person who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath without desecrating it, and keeps their hands from doing any evil. Let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let no eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree. That's one of my favorite Old Testament verses. (laughs) It really is, and here's why. Because it reveals God's heart. The Jewish people thought because they were God's chosen people, And there were laws against foreigners and people who had desecrated their bodies. And there was a reason for it. But they thought that that meant that God was not inclusive. That God didn't care about those people. That they had to just fend for themselves. We're God's people. We're the ones that get to worship God. And the proof is we have a tabernacle which ultimately became the temple. In the Mosaic Law, if you read the law, men and foreigners, let me me go back, men that were emasculated, like eunuchs, and foreigners were excluded. There was no place for them, right? What was God doing there? God was showing that he values people and these Pagan nations were mutilating their bodies and harming people and God didn't want that to be happening and God would not honor that or accept that and that's why if you were going to be in the temple, in the holy place, you couldn't be engaging in all of these unholy things. But it was not intended to exclude foreigners and even eunuchs who had a genuine heart to follow God. See what it says? Don't let any foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me, and let no eunuch complain, I'm only a dry tree. So while these laws in the Old Testament indeed protected God's people, they were never intended to exclude genuine converts. You've got people like Rahab and uh, Ruth that give us a picture of that, that God's heart is to include. God's people are on the threshold of something new and big and exciting happening. God, these nations are going to be streaming into the temple. It hasn't happened yet. But Isaiah 56 is giving us this picture. These ones that once were outsiders, because if you're a eunuch, you're an outsider. If you're a foreigner, you're an outsider. But not if you're bound to the Lord. Look at verse 4, for this is what the Lord says. To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, to them... I will give, see the next words, within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. It keeps getting better. Verse 6, And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to minister to Him, to love the name of the Lord, to be His servants, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it, and who hold fast to my covenant... These I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar for my house read it with me, will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Hallelujah. (laughs) All nations. All nations. Anybody who loves God, anybody who is willing to bind themselves to the Lord, even though in the past you were excluded, God is saying, come in. Come in. The Sovereign Lord declares, He who gathers the exiles of Israel, I will gather still others to them besides those already gathered. You see, those Israelites have been taken out of their land into Babylon and they were going to be gathered back. But God says, yes, I'm going to gather them back, but I'm gathering others back as well. Now, here's the point. You might say that that court of the Gentiles was a picture of the great coming day when the Gentiles were going to get gathered in. You see, this is still the Jewish temple. But God, in his mercy, allowed there to be a place where Gentiles could come. In other words, the temple was not designed to be a place where the Jewish people would say, this is for us and we are it. The temple was designed to be a witness to the nations, to include the nations. But their entire religious system was opposed to it. And the way they enacted it was opposed to it. And that's why Jesus came in and turned the tables over. I don't think it was because they were charging too much money for the wood. There might have been corruption, we don't know. But I don't think Jesus is just saying, oh, if you'd only been selling it for the right price, it would have been okay. No, this is an entire system that's exclusive. That keeps people out. And that's not God's heart. His heart is for a house of prayer for all nations, all nations. Josephus, the first century Jewish historian, wrote about that there were warning signs on the barrier that separated the place where the Gentiles could go. And there were warning signs. And archaeologists discovered one of them that said this. This was a sign that was up. No foreigner is to go beyond the balustrade and the plaza of the temple zone. Whoever is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his death, which shall follow. It'd be just like putting that sign up on the outside of our church out there. No, no, no outsiders welcome here. So this circus that's going on in these courts... It's, it's keeping people out. It's the only place the Gentiles can come in and get near God. And, and Jesus is like, no, you, you, you gotta go. Because my house is to be a house of prayer for all nations. Additional note, remember I said earlier, not just Gentiles, but some Jews. If you were Jewish and you were lame or blind or deaf, mute you couldn't go in the temple either you had to be healthy and whole but to show how inclusive this was it's not in the matthew mark account but in matthew's parallel account just a few verses later matthew 21 4 says the blind few verses after this the blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. Jesus is inclusive. When With the coming of Jesus Christ, this, it, this great engathering started. Think about it. We went through the book of Acts. Acts chapter 8. The man that was saved in Acts chapter 8 was an Ethiopian eunuch. He was both a foreigner and a eunuch. And he was saved through the name of Jesus. So here's the application. When we pray, people get included. Now there's a lot. We want to be a welcoming church. We want to be a welcoming church. I love we got the prayer book. I, I did something the other day. I was I was looking at it. And you know, we have people that we pray for every day. And there's certain harvesters every day, and we have their pictures. And I just looked through the whole book and found out that on, on at least half of the pages in this book, out of the four harvest individuals and families that are listed, on at least half of the pages, the people don't look like me. Now, some of you are saying it's good that nobody in there looks like you, <laughs> but you know what I mean. <laughs> There's a lot of different looks in one body. What does it make, what does it take for people to feel wanted and and included in our church? Well, it takes all of us having a welcoming heart, a kind spirit, and An openness to all people. It definitely takes that, but it also takes prayer. Because when the church atmosphere is bathed in prayer, God draws people. Amen? Well, it's important for us to be a house of prayer. It's important for us to get God's values because... Jesus values God's activity. Secondly, Jesus values inclusiveness. And then finally, Jesus values something else. He values personal godliness rather than mere outward religiosity. My house be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And again... People often think, oh, they're, they're ripping people off. That's why Jesus turned those over. I don't, I don't think that's the heart. I think the heart of it goes back to Jeremiah chapter 7. So we're going to look back at Jeremiah chapter 7 quickly. because He's quoting again from the Old Testament. The context of Jeremiah 7 is you may remember an Old Testament event that was recorded in Second Kings 18 to 20 and also in Isaiah 36 and 37. A man named Sennacherib, who was the king of Israel threatened Jerusalem. He threatened to come in and destroy Jerusalem. And one night, 185,000 of his soldiers died. Boom. God preserved Jerusalem. That's a good news. That was a good news. But the bad news was some people took that to say, you know, even though we're living wicked lives, because we have the temple... In our city, we're indestructible. We can do anything we want to. We can live any way we want to because we have the temple of the Lord. And that's not not God's value. So when we come to Jeremiah 7, the people are living wickedly, and the prophet Jeremiah warns them, don't think of the temple as some sort of fetish, that just because you have the temple... That protects you, you need to repent, you need to do justice, you need to abandon your idolatry if you want god 's protection in your life and i I find that true today, not as much with the temple, but there are people in our culture who are living very immoral lives, but think because there 's some outward connection with religion they 're okay i 'm an american I, i'm Joined a church once, or I was baptized, or I was confirmed, or whatever. Jeremiah 7, this is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Stand at the gate of the Lord's house, and there proclaim this message. Hear the word of the Lord, all you people of Judah who come through these gates to worship the Lord. Okay, everybody's coming to worship. Here's the word from God for you, all you people who want to come worship. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Reform your ways and your actions, and I'll let you live in this place. Do not trust in deceptive words and say, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. If you really change your ways and your actions and deal with each other justly, if you do not oppress the foreigner, the fatherless or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not follow other gods to your own harm, then I will let you live in this place. In the land I gave your ancestors forever and ever, but look... You're trusting in deceptive words that are worthless. Will you steal and murder, commit adultery and perjury, burn incense to Baal, and follow other gods you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house which bears my name and say, We are safe Safe to do all these detestable things? Has this house, which bears my name, become a den of robbers to you? But I've been watching, declares the Lord. Do you know what a den of robbers is? <laughs> it's not a phrase we use a lot, a den of robbers, right? You know, the robbers go rob someplace, maybe Nathan Hardenbrook, our police officer over here, knows they rob someplace, and then they they have a little hideout. They have a place they go to that they hole up in before they go do the next one. Right? That's that's kind of that's the den of robbers. And look what look how the prophet is saying. It. Look what his God is saying through this prophet. The people in Jeremiah's day, ultimately we're doing that. He named five of the ten commandments they had broken: <laughs> perjury, adultery all this stuff, and they were doing that, and he was saying, don't live like that, and then say, oh, this is the temple of the Lord. <laughs> we're okay, we're going we're gonna to do all that, and then, then we're going we're gonna to come in the temple, and we'll be okay. Verse 4 says, do not trust in deceptive words, and say, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. And so it was in Jesus' day these people coming in to the temple. It's not just religious activity. It's not just the fact that you're offering a sacrifice. How are we living? Are we following God with our life? This is holiness. God's house is to be a house of prayer, and that involves integrity And holiness. So, see the three things Jesus values in this passage God's activity, prayer, rather than mere religious activity, inclusiveness and a large heart and vision rather than exclusiveness, and personal godliness rather than mere outward religiosity. We could take one word and put over these that's the word worship. This is worship when we walk with God, when we pray, when we include others, when we live lives that honor God, when we value prayer like Jesus did, we are praying in his name. So got a little acrostic here that I'm going to wrap it up with. Just some practical suggestions. How, How can... How can we value like prayer did, like like Jesus did? How, How can we value prayer like Jesus did? How can we make harvest more and more a house of prayer? So first, personal and family rhythms. It's interesting that both Jesus and Paul said that our bodies are the temple of the Lord. You know, we don't go to a... Physical place. I'm, I'm thankful we have a church campus, a building here where the church gathers, but, but the church is just gathered right there. The people right all around you are the church. This is, this is a, a physical. Your body is the temple of the Lord. And so to be a house of prayer, we want everybody in their personal life and in their family life to establish rhythms of walking with God. Mark Buchanan said, what God wants is you. Before he wants your sacrifices, he wants your attention. The R. By the way, these letters are not always the first one. (laughs) Just couldn't. I tried. I tried, believe me. But I, I couldn't do it that way. Prayer covering for our leaders. You know, Christian leaders are prime targets for Satan. Satan loves to make anybody fall. Any Christian, but especially he wants Christian leaders to fall, pastors and elders, teachers. He he wants us to fall. There are Satanists praying for that to happen. So in a house of prayer, there's a team of people that support and provide a prayer covering, which we need desperately. Atmosphere in the House of Prayer, prayer is foundational and pervasive. It's, it's not just one ministry <laughs> among many. Oh, here's the prayer ministry. No, it's, it's just pervasive. Uh, for, let me give you an example. When we take a mission trip at heart, when we send, let's say we send a team of 12 people to another country, and they're going to do a two-week mission trip. Well, during that time, I I know who's going to be praying for them. I guarantee you, their wives and their husbands, or their parents or their children, will be praying for them every day. We we pray for the people that we're really close to, and that is wonderful, and that is good. In a house of prayer, you know who's praying for that mission team? Everybody. Everybody. It's pervasive. It's an atmosphere. The why every group and meeting. Now, not every meeting is designed to be a prayer meeting, nor should it be necessarily. But in a house of prayer, every group, every meeting is touched by prayer. So if it's a community group or a Bible study, they're looking at the Word together, they're sharing with each other, they're studying the Bible together, they're... Do- and they're praying together. Maybe it's a, a, a ministry team planning their strategy out. In a house of prayer, well, in, in a church that's a prayerless church, they might, well, let's open in prayer. Let's say, somebody, somebody say a 30-second prayer, and then, now let's do all our planning. Okay, somebody close in prayer. We got it in, right? As opposed to a team that prays. About the work. Not just plans it. And then church-wide prayer. We, we, we have occasions of church-wide prayer. Like the 24-hour prayer vigil that many of you were able to take advantage of over the weekend. We gather Sunday mornings at 9.30 to pray. And we invite you to be a part of that. It's, it's just prayer. That's, it's just prayer. I hate to use the word just. <laughs> Maybe I should say it's only prayer. <laughs> I love, uh, Lance Leo. He used to, he's a former harvester. He's been living in Minnesota for a bunch of years now, maybe 10, I don't know. Used to love hanging out with Lance. Lance was like, he was, he coached triathletes. Uh, he was a, what do they call it, ultra marathoner? Uh, what are they, you know, the ones that, go to Hawaii and do it all day long, you know. I mean, he was Mr. Fit, and that's what his living was. And because of that, um, he went to bed at an ungodly hour, 7 p.m. He was in bed. So you couldn't call him at 7.30 and wake him up. He went to bed at 7 o'clock. Well, in those days, our church-wide prayer gathering was on a weeknight at 7 o'clock. So, Lance was a growing, he was committed to harvest, he he just a wonderful person, but he he never came to those. And during 140 days of prayer, he decided, okay, I'm going to come anyway, (laughs) even though I'm getting up at, you know, three in the morning or four or whatever. And the next day he sent me this note that I've saved. He said, just wanted to say thanks for last night. It felt like we were all huddling around the fire last night as you closed worship. I like the feel of that. I never experienced that feeling of family within a church before. That's church-wide prayer, and it's good. And then finally, celebrate, dream, and initiate. Let's celebrate what God has done, what God has taught us about prayer. Many of us would say God has brought us a long way from where we were. Six months ago, six years ago, whatever. Let's celebrate. Let's praise Him. But dream. Dream. What else does He want to do with us? How else can we pray together? You know, maybe maybe that 9.30 time doesn't work or the Thursday morning early time that we do virtually at 7.30. Maybe those don't work for you. Well, dream. Just create. You, you don't need permission to go start prayer meetings. Just Just dream, initiate. In a previous 40 days of prayer, one man uh, reached out and he said, hey, can I come in every day at 7 in the morning and pray? We had to think really hard about that one. We said yes. Another person emailed me one time and said, can I come in on Saturday night and pray in the worship center to bathe the sanctuary in continuous prayer to prepare for Sunday services? This is a house of prayer that we want to be. Now, please don't misinterpret what I'm saying today to focus only on you and me and what we're doing or not doing. I want to remind you this is about God's heart. This is about what he values. And this is about his grace. I would love to see more of you come at 930. I'd love to see more of you log on Thursday. morning. But you know what? Even if you can't come at 930 on Sunday or be there on Thursday, God loves you. God invites you. God welcomes you. This is about God's heart. This is not about us checking off boxes. This is just about the heart of God. You know, it it's amazing to me to think that the God of the universe wants us to be around him. <laughs> That's what prayer is. He wants us. And so there are times and there are seasons in life and there, there's, there's sometimes maybe a health situation or a personal life situation that it's hard for you to go out. Maybe you can't be in a community group right now, or you can't. Co- hey, God sees all that and He loves you and He wants you to experience Him as well. When we value prayer like Jesus did. Thanks again for joining us today from Harvest Community Church. This podcast is also available on our website, harvestcharlotte.com. Please go there if you want to send a question or comment, learn more about our ministries, or find out how you can donate to support the podcast.